welcome to 2021. I'm Paul Comfort, and this is Transit Unplugged, the world's top public transportation podcast interviewing executives from our industry. Welcome to a fresh edition of Comfort's Corner. Well, wow, what a great uh, 2020 finish, huh? A lot of big news coming out of the public transit industry. We're going to talk about it all on today's headline news for this Comfort's Corner edition. In addition, I've saved a great guest for today's show. That's Joshua Schenk, who is the uh, chief of the Innovation Office, the extraordinary Office of Extraordinary Innovations at LA Metro, where Phil Washington heads up the agency. Of course, Phil is heading up uh, what's happening for the Biden administration when it comes to transportation transition team. But Joshua Schenk is one of our industry's top leaders, and we're so excited to have him on today. He talks about some of the great uh, new things coming for our industry in 2021. You're going to want to Listen to the full podcast today to make sure you get that interview, plus um, our normal Mike's Minute and Messaging Minute from Alea Carey, which is great this week. Also, a look at the future of public transportation. Right after this headline news update, and the big news coming out of the end of the year 2020 was good news for the public transportation industry. Not great news, but good news. And that's because President Trump signed the sweeping series of bills passed by Congress and delivered more than $900 billion in COVID relief across a number of sectors, including they also passed and was signed uh, the full set of fiscal year 2021 appropriations bill. So including that legislation was the $14 billion in additional emergency assistance for transit systems, which we'd heard so much about. Remember, it was 15 billion at first and then it got dropped to 14 billion. Uh, Something is better than nothing, right? We're going to tell you a little bit about that in just a minute, how it's going to be distributed. In addition, though, they also passed basically the, the, the budget for the year from the federal government, the transportation, housing, and urban development appropriations for all federal funding transit programs for the year. And there was good news there. Uh, so first, let's talk about the COVID emergency assistance. That'll be distributed as follows, according to the bill. Out of the $14 billion, $13.3 billion will be given to the urban areas through 5307. Uh, That's the formula that it goes through. 50 million will be for 5310, which is our specialized transportation paratransit. And then 679.6 million through 5311 rural funds. So a lot of the money is gonna be going to the major urban areas, which some of them felt like they did not get enough money on the last round of COVID funds. On the annual budget appropriations though, uh, good news, the bus funding program saw significant increases from their previous FAST Act authorized levels. Uh, According to the Bus Coalition, Congress added a combined $408 million to section 5339 and 5311 programs over and above their authorized level. This is a great win and um, really good news. Uh, Bus Coalition was working on that. most of you know, we have a good friend that heads that up, who's uh, head of the Rochester Transit System, uh, Bill Carpenter, and uh, he and I actually talked a couple of weeks ago about some of the things happening in Congress and uh, the administration, et cetera, and the incoming administration. And so uh, good news for APTA, for the Bus Coalition, CTAA, who worked hard on getting these additional funds put in. Also included in the Ways and Means provisions as part of this legislative activity is a one-year extension of the Alternative Fuels Tax Credit which was another key priority for transit systems across the nation, and now codified among Medicaid statutes as a provision that preserves the non-emergency medical transportation NEMT benefit as part of the Medicaid program, along with a stipulation that public transit providers must be included in the process. 
And that was a big coalition worked on that, including CTAA and SWATA and others. So congratulations, good news uh, coming out of Washington again for the public transit industry. Other really good news is the Federal Railroad Administration announced that positive train control, PTC technology, uh, is done. It's the technology is in operation on all 57,536 required freight and railroad, uh, freight and passenger railroad route miles prior to the statutory deadline of December 31st, 2020, set by Congress. In addition, as required, the Federal Railroad Administration has certified that each host railroad's PT system. PTC system complies with the technical requirements for those systems. Furthermore, railroads have reported that interoperability has been achieved between each applicable host and tenant railroad that operates on PTC governed main lines. I know that when I was um, CEO of the MTA in Baltimore, we ran the Mark Train system and, uh, and I, we were very big on trying to get ours done, which, which we got it done in time. And congratulations to all of the uh, 41 railroads subject to the statutory mandate, including seven class one railroads, Amtrak, 28 commuter railroads, and five other freight railroads that host regularly scheduled intercity or commuter rail passenger service. As you, uh, those of you who are involved in this know, this accomplishment encompasses thousands of hours of testing and deployment, innovative technological solutions, and a tremendous amount of coordination among nearly 100 host and tenant railroads, associations, material suppliers, and service providers. And the railroad administrator, Ronald uh, Batori, congratulated everyone and great work, we got it done. Someone else who's been working in the transit industry for many years uh, on the, uh, and a good friend of ours on the program here, J. Roger Morton, president and general manager at Oahu Transit Services in, uh, on the island of Oahu, which they run the, the full you know, fixed route bus and paratransit system for Honolulu, um, is going to be getting a new job. Uh, it, as was reported uh, recently in the news, uh, just this last weekend, uh, the new mayor, uh, Rick Blangiardi, has will be sworn in as the next uh, mayor of the city and county of Honolulu in Hawaii, has announced his uh, new cabinet picks. And Roger Morton, who has been director of the Department of Transportation, is now going to be the director of the Department of Transportation Services. He has been the president and general manager, as I mentioned, of Oahu Transit Services. They operate the bus and the handy van. Uh, Roger's been a guest of ours on the program. Uh, and has spoken at many of our live events that I've done. I'm very excited for him and talked to him over the weekend and happy for him in this new role. He'll be starting uh, early next month. And congratulations to Roger Morton for this new job as director of the Department of Transportation Services for Honolulu. And finally, uh, a look at the future of public transportation. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. It's often no longer good enough to just send a press release to a news outlet and expect to get coverage for your agency's news. One way to make your press release more attractive to journalists is to use video as a meaningful component of your story. What are some of the best practices if you want to add video to your press releases? First, start by checking out how your targeted media outlets are using video. Do they prefer something short and sweet, or are they running longer videos? Do they seem to favor head and shoulder interviews, or is their style more casual? Then start planning the release of your news, taking into consideration just what kind of video content you'll need to tell your story clearly. For example, is your leadership the best spokesperson? Perhaps. 
but it could also be interesting to hear from those impacted by your news. And if you're releasing news from an event, what video content can be created in advance and what should be shot during the event? Finally, just as with more traditional releases of news, how well prepped for follow-up is everyone at your agency if and when a journalist wants to conduct an interview of their own? Video content may be very cool, but you shouldn't just necessarily expect it to stand alone. If you'd like to talk more about using video in news releases or anything else about public transit and communications, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. with us today on Comforts Corner, part of Transit Unplugged. We're excited to kick off the new year today with our newsmaker interview with Joshua Shank. Joshua's Chief Innovation Officer of LA Metro. He's had a long career in the transit industry, was head of the Eno Center for Transportation uh, prior to this, and uh, is a great person for us to talk to today about kicking off 2021. Josh, we're so happy to have you as a guest and so thankful that 2020 is over. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I think everyone agrees with that sentiment. Yes. Yeah. So Josh and I were on a panel recently together and uh, I thought, man, he'd be a perfect person to kick off 2021 uh, for Transit Unplugged. So Josh, tell us a little about yourself and what you do there at LA Metro. It's really a unique role. And I, I noticed, I mean, just for what it's worth, having been in the industry a long time, once you started that job, like, 10 other big transit agencies started new directors of innovation. I did it in Baltimore when I was head of MTA. I copied what you were doing. I'm like, oh, we need an innovation office. So yeah, so go ahead, tell us what you're doing. Well, so uh, Phil Washington became CEO of Metro in 2015. And if you know Phil, you know he's a pretty bold and visionary leader. And he, ca he came in at a time when there was a lot changing in the transportation industry. I mean, it was a time when uh, you were seeing the, the rise of Uber and Lyft and, and the, the, how smartphone technology was changing how we think about transportation. Uh, you were seeing talk about autonomous vehicles. You were seeing electric vehicles coming. A lot of things happening. And he felt like, well, we can't just sit idly by and watch things change around us. And a public sector agency has to be able to innovate too. So he created, uh, uh, under his general theory of make no small plans, the Office of Extraordinary Innovation. I and love that title, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah, is there a movie, The Extraordinary Gentleman or something like that? <laughs> well, I, so I've heard a lot of comments over the years about, you know, it sounds like a Harry Potter film. Or, yeah, yeah. But it, whatever you want to call it, it is certainly ambitious. And that was the idea is that just saying, um, oh, let's have an innovation guy and see what they can do is really not going to accomplish anything. And he wanted to have an entire department focused on it. And he gave us the tools to be successful. So the first key tool he gave us was um, the unsolicited proposal policy, which said we would accept new ideas uh, from the private sector about things that we didn't know we should be doing. And you know, Phil had used this a little bit in Denver, primarily for capital projects to say, hey, we're, we're delivering this project this way, but if you have a different idea, tell us what it is. And then the private sector would say, actually, this would work better as a P3 or this would work better as design build. And that was a great uh, starting point. But what we did at Metro is we took that a step further and said, okay, not just for pro capital projects, but what are any kind of project that we don't know we should be doing, but that could improve our business model. And that policy has been wildly successful. We, we launched it in February, 2016. 
We've received over 240 unsolicited proposals, and many of those have become projects at Metro that we otherwise would not likely be doing. That's awesome. Can you tell us some of the cool ones maybe that you've done the last year or two? Yeah, so well, the biggest one now is just launched this week is our Metro Micro project. Um, that's uh, an on-demand micro transit service that will be operated by Metro. Uh, the idea that, that came to us was, look, the, the, we have great algorithms, the private sector, we have great algorithms for dispatching vehicles and getting people on-demand shared ride services. But you know where those services are needed. You know how to make them accessible to everyone and affordable to everyone. And you have the professional fleet, professional set of uh, operators who could do it. And so we came together to form this public-private partnership where we were able to, to provide the largest, what will eventually be the largest on-demand publicly provided transit service in the country. And it's really exciting because if you think about how our existing bus system works, it is very much reliant on the user to say, okay, I got to find out when the bus is coming, where it's going. You, know, you got to do a lot of work uh, to figure out how to use our system. Whereas an on-demand flexible service like this, it puts much more of, uh, of the onus on the operator. Um, and in this case, on the designer of the algorithm and a lot less on the customer. So the customer will find a service that will say, hey, walk this way to you know, three blocks to this stop. Someone's going to pick you up and take you to this location. And you know, you'll pay through the app and everything is very seamless and very easy. So we felt like we couldn't just watch as everyone else was doing on-demand services and we weren't and just still running the same buses. So that's a, that's a great example of the kind of innovation that came out of this process. How do you see that? I mean, two of the biggest trends I see coming out of the COVID thing are right, real-time GTFS feed showing the capacity of buses. That's a big one that everybody's been doing. You know, this bus is full, it's coming to my stop. With maybe a little context is even more helpful. The bus has been full the last three days at the stop before me and after me. Uh, but another one is this microtransit. So do you see this as a long-term deal, Josh, that, that transit systems now coming out of COVID are having to kind of reorient our services? And maybe microtransit is a, like a niche part of it? Or, or how do you see it playing out? Well, I think it depends very much on the transit system and the area you're serving. Okay. Um, in Los Angeles, I think there was a tremendous opportunity for this because we're very spread out. We have a very uh, wide uh, coverage area. And it is difficult to provide good, effective, frequent coverage for an entire huge area like this with one type of vehicle and one type of service. And that's essentially what we're doing. We have two types of buses, but they're either longer or they're shorter, but they're not gonna be as flexible as an on-demand more van-like service that, that we're providing now. So in places like LA, I think it is critical to think about how you can cover certain areas with a more flexible on-demand service. But that doesn't mean that it's suitable for every location. In, in many dense cities like a, a New York or, or even a DC or Baltimore, you probably want to increase the frequency of your bus service uh, to cover most of the area. But LA is a little different. And that's why here, you know, you might have someone who right now relies on two or three buses with transfers and waiting and a long travel time who now can take a micro transit on demand vehicle. And, you know, the travel time is cut in half uh, and it's way more convenient. That, that's not necessarily true in every city. And how, how much do you charge for that service? Well, we're starting with an introductory fare of $1. Um, that's because we're in a pandemic and we're just rolling it out. Uh, yeah. We'll see how things go. But I think that's, that's critical because think about how many people are choosing um, not to take a trip 
um, or to spend money that they can't really afford to take a trip in an Uber or a Lyft. Right. And now they have this other option. That's good. Speaking of COVID, you mentioned to me off camera that you had just kind of had a recovery task force or something like that, a report that came out. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, our recovery task force uh, just finished its draft final report. So it's out for public comment right now. Um, the, the task force was assembled by our CEO when we um, realized that we had to do something to prepare for what was gonna happen after the pandemic because we didn't want to miss the window of opportunity that was created by this thing. Um, you know, the one of the things that I think my boss said that was really salient at the time was he said, we are better positioned than any other transit agency in America to come out of this pandemic well, because we have an office of innovation. And the reason he said that is, this is the time for innovation. Most people think like, oh, it's a crisis. Yeah, you better yeah. revert back to what we did. No, now is the time to do the new stuff because now is the time when people are open to change. You know, everyone all of a sudden shut down and wasn't going to work. And then at some point they're going to start work going to work again, or maybe fewer people, but there's still be people going back to work. Well, that's a good time to come to them. Hey, how about these other options? Let's try this. Let's try that. Maybe you don't have to just default to driving alone in your vehicle. So the task force has a number of recommendations that are targeting um, trying to come out of this pandemic in a stronger position from a mobility standpoint than how we went into it. Because if you visited LA before the pandemic, you know, it wasn't working so well from a mobility standpoint. We had a lot of congestion, a lot of inequities. So there's a series of recommendations in the report to try to, uh, to remedy that. Yeah, you guys are always on the cutting edge, it seems like, at LA Metro. I mean, a couple of the hot ideas that have come out uh, over this year are free fares and congestion charging. Uh, are there any other recommendations coming out or what are the hot trends that you see going into 2021, not only for LA Metro, but also for all of us in the industry? Well, I mean, congestion pricing, and we call that our traffic reduction study, yeah. is an idea that, that you know, has been around forever and has always been challenging uh, to implement. I think the, the couple of key things happened that made it possible for us to move forward with that innovation. And, you know, just as a quick aside, people often think that an innovation officer's job is about technology. And I have to remind them, it's not really about technology. It's about policy change. It's about policy innovation. And that's what congestion pricing is. It's a policy innovation that people have just been unable to get through because of the tremendous challenges involved. And so what happened was, first of all, we had traffic that was so terrible that people were willing to consider anything to, to deal with it. And second, we had a board of directors that saw um, uh, that in order to accomplish our mobility goals, just building stuff wasn't gonna be enough. And they, they said, okay, let's look into this. And, we have an advantage here in LA when it comes to congestion pricing. And, and the reason it's called our traffic reduction study is that we're saying the goal here is not to try congestion pricing. The goal is to reduce traffic. Okay. Congestion pricing might be the means by which we do it. But the advantage we have over many other cities is a place like New York, congestion pricing has to be for Manhattan, right? That's the only place it could be. Here in LA, it could be lots of different places because we have so much congestion. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're doing outreach to areas all around the county to see who wants to try this, who wants to be the pilot area where this could happen. And that's making this, I think, more palatable than it might have otherwise been. That's good. Let's get a little theoretical, if you don't mind. I mean, uh, so we're headed, we're now in 2021. And, uh, you know, the, vi the virus's vaccine has been released and people are starting to 
uh, take the shots now. Where do you think transit goes? I mean, this has been the biggest gut punch to public transit that I've experienced in 33 years in the industry. Give me some predictions or some guidance as to where you think we're headed uh, into 2021 now. Well, I mean, I think the first thing um, to recognize is that the goal for public transit agencies is not getting more people to ride transit. And I know that that's a hard thing for people to accept, right? But we that's what we stated in our Vision 2020 strategic plan, which came out in 2018, which was that our goal is to improve mobility and improving mobility means more people traveling by means other than driving alone, okay. not just by transit. And that distinction, and the strategic plan, by the way, is the other key tool that we were given in the Office of Extraordinary Innovation. And so if you look at it that way, um, then everything isn't so hard. <laughs> I'm not saying it's easy, but it isn't so difficult because if, if transit is your only tool, yeah, it's gonna be difficult to, to you know, fix the challenges we have in most American cities with respect to mobility, but transit is just one tool. We have shared bikes now, we have shared scooters, we have car share. We have uh, the ability to slow our streets down and make them friendlier to biking and walking. We have, of course, telecommuting, which you know m many people's initial reaction is, well, telecommuting, that's terrible. Then fewer people will ride transit. No, telecommuting is another mobility benefit in, in that package. Uh, so when you start from that perspective, yes, you have to absolutely, you have to make transit safe. You have to make people feel comfortable. You have to do all those things. Uh, that's number one priority, but you also have to, recognize that you're a part of a multimodal system and you have to work together to deal with this problem. You're never going to solve it by yourself. That's a very great macroeconomic approach. I mean, I know that um, the Secretary of Transportation for Maryland, when I was in there, uh, Pete Ron used to always say, you know, congestion relief. That was his that was his mantra. And a big part of what public transportation tries to do, right, is relieve congestion to get people off the road, improve the environment. Well, if, if um, most white collar workers are now only going to go into the office three days a week or two days a week, yeah, that might mean less people on the commuter train, but the overarching goal of reduced congestion and less environmental impact, right? I mean, that's good, right? Exactly. I mean, Maryland is one of the few agencies in the country that has the luxury, like we do, of looking at it from that perspective, fully integrated transit program within the larger transportation agency. And we're like that too. I mean, we serve as the transportation planner, builder and operator across multiple modes. But that, that shows why governance is so important in solving these problems, right? If you have a square, you've isolated the transit agency from the rest of your transportation system, then it's gonna be much more difficult to solve your problems. That's good. So as you know, our podcast is heard in 99 countries and we mostly people in the transit industry because we're the you know, number one show that, that interviews executives with great ideas. So if you had to give one or two great ideas to our listeners uh, who work in transit agencies around the world, uh, I mean, we've got listeners from literally, you know, Romania, people, people email me from New Zealand and say, hey, so give us some wisdom as we head out into this year uh, from the, uh, the head of the Office of Extraordinary Innovation of LA Metro. What advice can you give us going into 2021? Well, the, the number one thing I often tell people is that the best innovations are not the coolest technology. They're not the, the you know, flying cars and autonomous vehicles. Um, what they are is low cost efforts that produce high mobility benefits. That's what innovation really is. It's finding out, all right, how do we get these lower cost things? That's why we're pursuing things like congestion. That's why we're pursuing things like bus only lanes and automated camera enforcement on those lanes. 
because if you want to get innovation, it's not just coming up with something that's really expensive and does you know, some good things uh, or something that's really flashy and maybe might have some benefit. It's about finding the biggest bang for the buck, the lowest cost initiatives that will bring the highest yield in terms of the goals you want to achieve. So my advice is always start with thinking about what you want to achieve and then look for the lowest cost mechanisms by which you can achieve those goals. And I know you have um, put a lot of those together online, right? Where can people go to, should they just Google off? I mean, tell me how people can get to all these great ideas and the task force report and all that that you've done there at LA Metro. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all online at metro.net. Um, you can see there, there's an Office of Extraordinary Innovation page, but Recovery Task Force is on a separate page. Um, there's a lot to, to look at there. I definitely recommend checking out the Vision 2028 Strategic Plan because that will give you a high level idea of where we're trying to go and what that means in terms of the innovations we foresee over the next 10 years. But you should also check out the innovation portfolio on there, which goes through a number of the unsolicited proposals we've received and implemented over the last several years. Lots of cool stuff in there that we didn't talk about, like our drone program, um, like the, the fact that we put uh, iPads on buses to tell operators what speed to go in order to hit green lights, you know, other cool stuff like that. So definitely check it out. That's awesome. I mean, and that maybe is a way we can close it out is just the whole concept of accepting unsolicited proposals. I mean, do you recommend that to transit agencies? You know, do you have to put on an RFP or an RFI or, or um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, to be clear, our unsolicited proposal process, the most likely result is an RFP. Right. It, it, it's a way, you know, we don't forego the competitive process. But uh, I, I only recommend it if your CEO backs it 100% and is willing to knock some heads to make it happen. Because I got to tell you, we had a lot of proposals come in and we go to a department and say, hey, isn't this a cool idea? And they're like, yeah, that's great, but we got our job to do. And if we didn't have the CEO backing us and saying, well, actually, you have to take this very seriously. And if you're not going to implement it, you got to have a really good reason. That's why we've gotten so many things done. So I, I highly recommend that. That's great. Joshua Shank, thank you so much for being with us today and giving us some wisdom and insight into what you guys are doing and what the rest of the industry can do to help us have a powerful kickoff to the year 2021. Thank you again. Hey, my pleasure. Good to see you, Paul. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about kindness, mentorship, and leadership with the hopes it will inspire you to pay it forward. Well, welcome to 2021, and for many of us, not soon enough. This is an exciting time of the year where many of us look forward to a fresh start, being re-energized, reorganizing, and setting some goals, both personally and professionally. There are still many unknowns with the continuing challenges of the pandemic and what that may look like through 2021, but I think it's a great opportunity for a fresh start and a few goals that can be weekly or monthly that help us build momentum throughout the year. Many of you may set out to achieve very specific career-centered high-level goals, and that's great, but make simple goals a priority too. Ones that directly align with the three items I like to discuss here, leadership, mentorship, and kindness. We all have it in us and we will all benefit. It can be as simple as jotting those three words down in a journal at the beginning of each week and looking to see where you get to. Leadership. Look for opportunities to lead by example or align with someone already a leader within your workplace or community. Mentorship. Look for opportunities to pass on what you already know or share experiences with those that are eager to learn or new and up and coming. And lastly, kindness. We can never be too kind and we can always lead with kindness. 
Kindness improves the quality of life in workplaces as well as the community. It simply brings people together and it also feels good. Happy New Year. Best of luck in 2021. Thanks for listening and kindness is cool. Thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner. And now for our final segment of each show, a look at the future of public transportation. And today, a look back at 2020. One of the hottest new things coming out at the end of the 2020 into 2021 is Hyperloop. You've heard so much about it around uh, the world. Well, the Korean Railroad Research Institute, Core Rail, announced that its hypertube train has achieved a speed of over 621 miles per hour or 1,000 kilometers per hour during a test. This marks a major achievement in the race to create the world's fastest train system. Hypertube is South Korea's version of the Hyperloop, and the country's been working on the Hypertube project since 2017. Last September, the concept achieved 443 miles per hour or 714 kilometers per hour in a full-fledged aerodynamic test in a sub-vacuum condition. According to CoreRail, they now have solved the problems with friction created by rapid acceleration. The team has developed new transportation technology, they say, that overcomes the speed limit caused by air and friction resistance of the existing high-speed railroad. Thanks to this, during their recent aerodynamic test, the model train reached a speed of 633 miles per hour at a pressure level of 0.001, which is close to a vacuum, between 497 to 621 miles per hour, 800 to 1,000 kilometers per hour. You could say Hypertube is a very fast train, and it's going to basically be, uh, you know, the same speed as the, some of the fastest airplanes. The Institute, they say, is continuing to refine their technology and moving toward the track and full-scale vehicle development by 2022. They hope to launch the first such Hyperloop in 2024. And the plan would be to reduce travel time from 3.5 hours to 30 minutes on a trip between Seoul and South Korea's second largest city, Busan. The country already has high-speed trains running on the same route, but the government is working to make this much more supersonic, uh, subsonic, actually, as soon as possible. And of course, you know, that's the other folks that are working on Virgin Hyperloop and Hyperloop, uh, one by Elon Musk, are still working on it. And um, recently, Virgin Hyperloop, as you know, had people ride along the company's 500 meter test track in Nevada, reaching about 170 miles per hour. And so that's big news and uh, big news out of uh, of Korea. Um, One thing they mentioned, I thought in an article in The Independent uh, was that uh, the government of South Korea, they say, is more favorable, uh, which I thought was interesting when it comes to obtaining planning permission and overcoming regulatory hurdles. That's according to Hyperloop TT CEO, Dirk Albahorn, meaning uh, you know, the, could, the first country in the world to really have an operating hyperlube or hypertube system could be South Korea. And now we'll look back at 2020. 2020 has been one heck of a year, hasn't it? The best laid plans of mice and men, as they say. Well, here we are having wrapped it up and started into the new year. But in my opinion, 2020 wasn't all bad. There was a silver lining for those who could find it or make one. This year of 2020 started out with a bang for me. Uh, My new book, The Future of Public Transportation, was just released on March 1st, 2020, and went straight to number one on the Amazon new bestsellers list for books on transportation. And we had set up a worldwide book signing tour that would be sponsored by many groups like Young Professionals in Transportation and WTS and Trapeze, TripSpark, with events set for cities like New York, Toronto, and Europe and Asia. And then the pandemic hit. 
just a couple weeks after the book uh, launched here, it hit here in the US and all travel was stopped and everything had to be canceled. And I was not happy about that. But you know, things quickly picked up with online virtual events, speaking engagements, magazine and blog posts. And I ended up speaking at nearly 50 different engagements over uh, the nine months of the year after COVID from all over the world, you know, to Australia, to the Middle East, to all over the US and Canada and Europe at various events, conferences, and individuals speaking to like staff meetings in places like Adelaide, uh, Australia. Pretty cool. Additionally, I work with a great illustrator, Sudeep KP, to produce a new children's picture book about public transportation called Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. And it too went to number one on Amazon's new bestseller list for books on public transportation in October. It's what I call my COVID lockdown project. We, we worked on Sundays together on it uh, over Zoom. And uh, so a couple of the cool things that happened uh, for me, I was selected to be on the board of advisors for the George Washington University's Transformative Leadership and Disruptive Times program at the business school there in Washington, D.C., and our podcast, Transit Unplugged, widened its reach now to at least 99 countries, uh, according to our folks in Toronto that track all this. And we had many international guests from the Middle East, Africa, Australia, and the UK. In addition, as you know, you're listening to it right now, I started a new version of the podcast called Comfort Corner to highlight news and information about the public transit industry, as well as shorter interviews with headline newsmakers from our industry. We also took on some additional responsibilities at my employer, Trapeze Group, and started a new position as executive director of the North American Transit Alliance, a group of the six largest private transportation contractors. It was formed to educate policymakers and legislators about the role of transit operators. And our group has been collaborating with groups like APTA and are excited to have input on how transit can build back and play a critical role in the economic recovery. Also had a cool new opportunity that came late in the year from LinkedIn. As you may know, I publish a post nearly every day on LinkedIn about the latest trends in the public transportation industry. Well, the editors of LinkedIn News contacted me and invited me to be one of their expert voices, commenting on the news of the day and using their algorithms. My comments and posts are shared widely on the platform. So that may be why you see some of the posts I'm having are hitting 20, 25,000 hits uh, because they're helping to share it and share the news. Looking ahead into this year of 2021, my article on the state of the transit industry will be published this month in Metro Magazine, and I hope to have many more opportunities to continue to share best practices and shine a light on the brightest voices in our public transit world. I truly enjoy being a transit evangelist and continue to strive to influence the world for good. Thank you for sharing this journey with me here on Transit Unplugged. Take care. Have a safe 2021.